If anybody ever invented a time machine, where would you go? Don't think it's going to happen, but if it did, it's interesting to think about. And this week I was thought of that for some reason, and I thought I might pick about 50 A.D. I might pick a Sunday in 50 A.D. I'd like to see a first century worship assembly. I'd like to see what it was like. And as long as I'm dreaming and wishing, if I knew the schedule, I'd pick a town and a place and a time, a Sunday, when Brother Paul was preaching. Wouldn't it be interesting? Ephesus, Thessalonica, Philippi, Colossae, wherever he happened to be that Sunday. I'm not sure I'd pick Corinth. I'd be kind of a wild bunch to go to worship with. But hearing the Apostle Paul, seeing him, meeting him would be quite a thing. You get to do that someday, but can you imagine what it would be like? I actually doubt if we can imagine what it would be like. I don't think we could get close to what we would see because we're used to what we do. We think this is the way it is. I know it would be a lot different. I don't think there would be any pulpit. wouldn't be any PowerPoints. wouldn't be an attendance book to pass down the aisle. I think they'd pray a lot more. I'm just guessing, but I think they did. I think the singing would be way different. Uh, Four-part harmony they didn't know about. I think the communion would be way, way different. Just guessing. But as I'm imagining, I imagine one of the biggest surprises that we'd get would be the sermon time. I don't think it'd be anything like what we do today. I know Paul would not get up and say, well, turn to Ephesians chapter 4. You know, he hadn't written it yet. There'd be none of that. After 30 minutes, you wouldn't need to look for the clock on the wall. Paul was probably just getting started. I think... Probably more than how the sermon was done would be the topic of what Paul would talk about. You see, I'd want, if I was getting to hear the Apostle Paul, I'd want him to talk about the theology of grace. I'd like him to explain that in his words. I'd like to hear him explain the necessity of baptism. I'd like to hear him talk about prayer and why we should pray and how we should pray and worship. I'd like him to talk about what acceptable worship is. I think it's much more likely than all of those kind of things that the Apostle Paul would pull a stool out into the middle of the crowd and sit down and say, let's talk about your walk. You knew Christ followers here, because 
All of them were New Christ followers. You New Christ followers, how'd you do this week? Let's talk about that. Are you guys starting to look like our Lord 24-7? Is that happening in your life? Can the pagans see it? Can the pagans see that we followers of Christ reflect his glory? And that every day we change and we become more like him from glory to glory. Can the pagans see that in your life? Are you presenting your bodies as a living sacrifice? Because that's that's your reasonable worship. That's what worship is, folks. Are you doing that all week? Are you are you getting over that desire to conform to the world? Are you stopping trying to be like everybody around you and look like the pagans? Because your minds are being renewed. And as you get your minds renewed, you're going to see what the will of God is in your life. How are you doing all that? How's your marriage? How's your job going? How's life been this week? Now, the reason I think Paul would preach like that is because he wrote like that. When he wrote letters to churches, and I know he covered some theology topics in some of them. He explained some of that in some detail. But he always got around to talking about their life, about their daily walk. And if he did that in his letters, how much more would he do that when he was face-to-face with them? You know, Paul talked a lot about work. The Bible talks a lot about work. Since this is Labor Day weekend, I I wanted to talk about work, and I got to thinking about Paul's teachings especially about work. I printed a few of them on your handout for you so you can see what he said, and he said a whole lot more than that. But I think he probably talked about that when he sat down in the middle of a first-century church. Now, before we get into what he talked about, this is just for your information. I know the answer, but I want to know how many of you work. See, that's one of the problems around here. (laughs) Only about 10% of you. Now, some of you were confused. You thought I asked... How many of you go to a company or a store and spend some time there and get a paycheck for that? That's what some of you thought I asked. I didn't ask that. I asked how many of you work. And I know the answer to that is almost everybody in this room. Whether it's at a place of employment where they give you a paycheck or whether it's home that you keep or whether it's How many of you young people do homework? That's why they call it that. You work. Okay, so only about half the kids do homework. That's 
another, another problem we got. Almost everybody in this room works. So maybe what Paul has to say might be good for us. A lot of folks volunteer work. They don't get a paycheck for it, but they find things to help other people, and they work hard at it. So I bet there's something in Paul's teachings about work that all of us can use today or Tuesday if you take off tomorrow, the rest of the week. Now, if we go back to imagining what Paul's sermon would be like, Realize that Paul would be talking to all kinds of people. These were new Christians, people that had come out of the pagan world or out of the Jewish world, and they had all kinds of backgrounds. He would be talking to some pickpockets and thieves and burglars and beggars and all kinds of people. And what he would tell them as he asked about their walk the past week He'd say, if you used to be a pickpocket or a burglar, he said, you've got to stop that. You have got to stop that. That's not how people of the way live. That's not how we get by. You've got to find some honest work, brothers. You've got to find a job. Now, it may not pay much, and that's okay, but you've got to have an honest job. You gotta make enough money to support yourself. Because Christians, people that follow Christ are not dependent on other people. That's what he would have told them. Because that's what he wrote. You make enough to pay for, support yourself, and then you make a little bit more so you can help some others. Because there's other people that need help. Now, you folks are supposed to do good for everyone. I've told you that before. But especially, it'll just look around you at people you can help. we got people in this church who can't work, aren't able to work. You can help them. we got people in this church who've had a crisis. Something bad happened in their life and... They're in a tight spot. You can help them. we got people in this church that have been fired from their job because they were a Christian. Bless them for that, but we can help them. Now, if you think I'm imagining all this, here's how Paul summarized it when he got around to writing down some of his thoughts. It's on your handout, Ephesians 4.28. He said, let the thief steal no longer. But rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. That's what Paul would have told the brothers and sisters. Paul would be talking to all kinds of people. He would also be talking to all kinds of families. And some of those families were very functional and some were pretty dysfunctional, probably just like today. Paul would have told those people how important family is to society and to God, and he'd have talked about that a while. But understanding that they were in hard times, 
They were, they were being persecuted. They were being discriminated against. They were slaves, some of them. That's who he was talking to. And he would have talked about supporting your family. He probably understood the same thing that James wrote down, that true religion is taking care of widows and orphans. So he would have talked about that some. But you know, Paul would also clarified that thing about widows. He would have said, and all the folks that we've got to take care of here, there's so many people that we could help with those of you that have jobs and work. We've got to be careful about that. If there's a widow who needs help and she's got children or grandchildren who are believers, then that's their responsibility. Church doesn't need to help her because the family needs to help her. Family comes first. That's the purpose of work. One of the purposes of work is to take care of your family. Here's how he summarized it when he wrote down some of his thoughts to Timothy, 1 Timothy 5.8. He said, if anyone doesn't provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. When Paul sat down on that stool in the middle of a bunch of new Christians, he would say, if you're not taking care of your family, you're worse than the pagans. Even pagans know to do that. And Christians certainly do that. Now, from his letters, I'm pretty sure that not everybody followed Paul's teaching on work. (laughs) He was pretty clear about it. And I'm sure every church he went to, he told them that some of the things I've just told you he said. But not everybody did it. There's some folks that... I guess they just never got taught how to work. Parents raised them wrong. Some folks just lazy for some reason. Uh, They don't want to work. There were people like that in the New Testament church. There were people who were looking for ways and finding ways to live off of somebody else's work. And if you wonder how serious Paul was about this work thing... Let's just work through this little passage in 2 Thessalonians. It's on your handout. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Just read through there with me, if you will, and we'll stop every once in a while and amplify a bit. Paul said to the church in Thessalonica, Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. All right, when Paul was in Thessalonica, he had sat on that stool and told them, you need to get an honest job. You need to support your family. You need to not be dependent on others. And when he wrote this letter, he said, there's some of you that aren't listening to that. Some of you are idle. You're not working. He says, I'm telling the church not to associate with those people. Let them know that they're doing wrong. And then he gives a personal example. He said, for you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you. 
nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It wasn't because we don't have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. When Paul was a missionary in Thessalonica, he worked for his living. He was a tent maker. And he wouldn't even take bread from them without paying them for it. He said, no, I could have taken handouts. I'm a missionary. I'm the most famous missionary in the world. But I won't because you've got to see how work is supposed to work. I wanted to model that for you. So that's what I did. You knew that. And you remember, let's go on. For even when we were with you, we gave you this command. If anyone's not willing to work, let him not eat. Now, that's shocking to 21st century America. But that was Paul said to Christians. He said, if you've got a brother that won't work, it's able to work, but just refuses, wants to be idle, wants to be lazy, then let him get hungry. He'll figure out that he ought to work. Don't help him be idle by giving him things. Let him get hungry. And then he goes on, he says, For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but they're busybodies. Now, such persons, we command, we encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. Paul's pretty straight about stuff, wasn't he? He said, Paul would not have stood for a brother, a Christ follower, to stand on a street corner with a sign that said he was hungry. That wouldn't have gone with Paul. Now, I understand there were people in his day who were unable to work, who had to beg for a living. And he understood that. The few stories we've got about him dealing with those kind of people, he usually ended up healing them. That was what Peter told the beggar, remember? Beggar lame from birth begging at the temple gate, and he asked for alms, and Peter said, I'm not giving you any silver or gold. He said, I'll heal you. Get up and walk. And Peter did that, number one reason, so that man would glorify God, and that's what he did next. He ran around praising God. He showed the power of God. But if that man, we're not told the rest of the story, but I guarantee you, if that man became a Christ follower, which you'd think he would, if he became a Christ follower and started assembling with the brothers, one of the first things they would tell him is, you've got to find an honest job now. Your days of begging are over. You're able to work now. Let's find you a job. I talked to a minister at a church not too long ago, told me that their congregation had for many years been very involved in helping the needy. That was one of their big missions. They helped people with food and clothes, and and that's a good thing. But they had come to the conclusion recently that they really weren't affecting 
people's lives very much. They had come to the conclusion that what they were going to start was a career ministry. They were going to start teaching people how to find a job. Coaching people on how to learn to work. They were going to affect people's lives. Paul said a lot about work. And some of you, I know right now, are sitting there thinking, well, I'm not lazy. You know, I've got a job. I don't know what all this has to do with me. Now, I don't like my job. You know, I hate it. My boss is a jerk. He's unfair. He doesn't treat me right. I'm not appreciated. It's a, it's a drudge to go to work where I go to work. Now, you're really lucky in America, and you can find another job. You've got that option every day. You can go look somewhere else if it's really that bad. But understand that when Paul sat down on the stool and talked to new Christians, I don't know what percentage of the audience, depending on the town he was in, I guess, but there were a lot of slaves in there. A lot of people that Paul wrote to and talked to when he talked about work and doing what the boss said and those, some of those things that we're going to talk about in a minute, it was in the context of slave and master. He couldn't tell those folks, well, just give that jerky boss, give him your two-week notice and go find another job. He couldn't do that because that Christian was owned by his boss. Well, we got trouble wrapping our mind around that, but that's who he was talking to. There were also some slave owners in the audience. We really got trouble wrapping our heads around that, but there were. And he talked to both of them. Well, let's just read through some of the things he said. Colossians chapter 3 is one of the shorter versions. There's some other versions I listed there you could read. Colossians chapter 3, verse 22 and on. He said, Slaves, bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. And I imagine some of them at that point said, Whoa, you, you don't know my master. <laughs> you don't know my boss. He's, he's a hard man. Apostle Peter covered that. You go to 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 18. He said it this way. Slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are hard. That's what they taught, brothers and sisters, in the first century. This is how you behave at your job. You treat the boss with respect, even if he's hard. Then Paul goes on in Colossians 3 there. If you don't think the Bible's got some down-to-earth advice, read this one. Not by ways of eye service, as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. He says, don't just work when the boss is watching. Don't just work to impress him. And any of you that have worked in the business world or anywhere know what he's talking about. You know there's some folks that do that. I used to work in the business world. 
I had people that reported to me, and I saw it. I knew it. I knew the ones that were only working when I was watching. Paul says Christians don't do that. Christians work at their job all the time, whether the boss is watching or not, and they do it with respect to that boss. Now, here comes the key. Look at verse 23. Whatever you do, work heartily. As for the Lord, not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You're serving the Lord Christ. Here's a key thought. You want to know what Paul thought about work? He thought about it completely different than we did. He thought about work as working for the Lord. See, we've messed that up. We've made Sunday the Lord's day. And the other six, I guess, are ours. Now, if Sunday's his day, then the rest of them belong to us. And so the Lord doesn't have much to do with our work, our job, our boss, what we do. That wasn't the way Paul thought about it. He said, when you go to work, you're working for the Lord. He's the boss. Act like that. And Christians used to talk about that. We used to think that way. William Tyndall, who was a great English reformer, said, Looking externally, there is a big difference between washing dishes and preaching the Word of God. But as to what pleases God, none at all. He said, If you work in the pulpit preaching, okay, work for the Lord. If you work washing dishes, okay, work for the Lord. There's no difference. What we used to think. Martin Luther said, monks and priests are in no way superior to a farmer or a woman looking after the home. He understood that. Whatever we're called to do, we do it for the Lord. Now, when I said called to do, that reminded me, that's the way Christians used to think of it. We still use the word sometimes vocation. Vocational training, that comes from the Latin, call. Your vocation is your calling. Well, who calls you to it? Well, not the classified ads. God called you to it. Wherever he's got you, wherever you have ended up, you're called to serve Christ there. He's the boss. That's what Paul talked about. Let's make this a little clear. We've got this light of life thing going this year. It's been good for Northside. It's got a lot of you thinking outside of Sunday some. It's got people figuring out that I can serve somewhere outside these walls. I can serve on other days than Sunday. There's more to life. And Paul would say to that, well, of course. (laughs) Of course you're supposed to let your light shine. Of course you're supposed to be salt out in the world. And Paul would say, don't miss your biggest opportunity. You may have the light of life narrowed down this year to four places that you can serve. He said, don't miss the biggest one. The biggest one is where you work. Toby's challenged us to give 17 hours this year to some service. Do you understand? At work, you give... You're out there eight hours every day, some of you more. 
And Paul looked at that as an opportunity to serve. That's your ministry. Eight hours a day, five days a week, whatever you work, see it as a ministry. When you walk in, I am the light in this place. That's the way Paul thought about it. He saw work a lot different than we do. Martin Luther King said one time, if a man is called to be a street sweeper, he should sweep streets even as Michelangelo painted, even as Beethoven composed music or Shakespeare wrote poetry. He should sweep streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth will pause to say, here lived a great street sweeper who did his job well. There's a big debate in this country about immigration. News is full of it. Who ought to be here? Who shouldn't? Who ought to get thrown out? Who ought to be able to work? Who shouldn't? For many people, that's very personal. They are immigrants or they know immigrants. But for many people, all they know is what they hear in the news. They don't know much about this. It's not a personal thing. They may not know any immigrants. So they see immigrants, but they don't know any. A while back, I hired a company to do some work around our house. It was hard work. It was dirty work. And it was cold that time of year. It was the kind of work that I could have done it, but I'd have lasted about two hours. You know, and I'd have been whipped. So I hired somebody else to do that. And they sent three men out to my house. And they weren't born in America. One of them spoke a little English, and the other two didn't speak any. They showed up on time. They hit it hard. They never stopped working. They took a break every once in a while. At a certain time, they took a break. So many minutes, and they were back to work hitting it hard. When they stopped for lunch... It's cold outside. I, we, we invited them into the house, told them they could use the microwave. Gave them a place to sit and eat their lunch. They were respectful. They were thankful. They were there for a while, and Cindy began making them cookies. <laughs> we never had any cookies left when they were done with lunch. They were there over a week, and when they were done, I went out to tell them thank you and goodbye and gave them a little something extra, and the one that could speak a little English, he said, we liked working here. He said, you're you're like family. Now, I understand whatever I thought or knew about the immigrant topic, When I hear it now, I filter it through what I know about my three friends. Now, the reason I tell you that story is because some folks at your workplace don't know what to think about Christians. Some of them already had negative opinions about Christians. 
Some of them really don't like Christians, but a whole lot more just don't know. You may be the only Christian those folks are going to see. And that's what Paul would tell that first century church. Think of it this way. If we brought you up here, the elders gathered around you and we commissioned you to be our missionary to some remote jungle place where there had never been a Christian, what would your attitude be about walking into that place? Wouldn't you think, i got to be the best representative of Christ I can? That's what I'm here for. Well, all those things on your handout and all the things that I've told you today, that's the way Paul thought about it. He thought we are commissioned as Christ's representatives in the workplace. Wherever you go, that's what you're there for. So what do they see? Paul says they ought to see the most honest, hardest working, most respectful, most supportive employee that they've ever seen. In fact, he'd put it this way, they ought to see Christ. Do they see Christ when you go to work? There's no slaves here today, but we got a lot of workers. After looking at Paul's teachings, do the folks you work with recognize you as a Christian employee? We never know the hearts of people that are here, but we have a tradition that we always stand up and sing a song and tell people that have something on their heart or have a prayer request or have some need in their life to come and talk to our elders about it. If you'd like to do that this morning, we're going to stand and sing right now, so come if you need to. Let's stand and sing.